This episode of How I Got This Gig is brought to you by Grooveden.com, one of the best places to find royalty-free music for your next video production. Now, here's what I like about Grooveden.com. You know, a lot of music licensing sites, they want you to pay for a track each time you use it. But at Grooveden.com, you only pay once, and you can use it forever. In fact, that's their slogan, buy once, use forever. Grooveden is very easy to navigate, and the music tracks are reasonably priced. And when you check out, enter the discount code VIDEO, and you'll get 25% off your purchase. That's all happening at Grooveden.com. Okay, on this episode, Berman continues his interview series on location in Hong Kong, and today he's talking with executive producer Kelvin Mock. Kelvin works for New Life Films based in China, where he oversees production on big-budget international TV commercials. And in his conversation with Berman, he shares how a Ken Burns documentary inspired him to go to film school. He explains exactly what his job as an executive producer involves. And he shares some very important advice for people just starting out in the biz. All right, let's start the show. Hello, I'm Dean Rainey, and welcome to the show, How I Got This Gig. We're changing things up again here. Uh, I'm joined once again by my video twin, Berman Lamb. Berman, hey. welcome. Thanks for having me again. So you were recently over in Asia working on a couple of big budget TV commercial productions. You're back safely now. I knew you were anxious to get back. I was very anxious to get back. How did things go over there? Oh, man. I, for those who have never been to Asia, or at least in, I was in Hong Kong and Shanghai, do not go there during the summer months. It's hot. It is hot. I mean, oh. it's hot. It's humid. Uh, in Hong Kong, we're looking at 36 to 38 degrees humid. And then when I was in Shanghai, it was 42 degrees. 42. And that's north of Hong Kong. That's north of Hong Kong. I did not know it was oh, hotter man. there. And it was also humid. And the pollution is pretty bad there. So it was not fun. I had, to, I had one day off when I was in Shanghai. And I had a choice of staying in a room that smelled like dog urine covered with Febreze or go out in the sweltering heat and, and, and brave the taxi cab drivers who will try to rip you off if you do not speak Mandarin. Oh dear. So I opted to stay in a piss filled room. It was, it was great. Is that your hotel room? That was my hotel room. It was just humid. I was asking them, they're like, yeah, it's humid. It gets like that. It's like, okay, it great. smells like dog pee. It like dog humid. pee. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So that was, uh, it was good though. I mean, uh, the, the work was good. It was interesting. Every time I go abroad and, and get on these shoots, I always learn something. You know, and that's mentality I get. I go into it with, so I always get something out of it. So that's great. It's just the heat was just unbearable. So what did you learn on this commercial shoot? It was for tampons, right? For the Shanghai one? Yeah. Yeah, Shanghai one was for tampons. Yeah. And um, and what I've learned is, well, there's a lot of learnings. I mean, I was working I was, for this one here. You know, in the beginning I was producing, but then I, I stepped into the assistant directing role which I'm not sure if anybody really knows what assistant director does on a, on a, on a set, uh, which is basically the director will, will whisper in your ear and go, okay, Berman, I, I, this is what I need this, the scene to look like. And you will then actually direct the actors, tell the uh, cinematographers, 
and tell everybody else what they have to do. So essentially, you're the one that's directing. The director is just giving you what he wants. Wait a minute. That sounds... This is for TV commercial this directing? This is for TV commercial, yeah. This sounds very different than, say, film or drama directing, where the actors will have a relationship with the director. Yeah, And yeah. they will hear directly from him what they want, and same with the cinematographer. Now, were you doing this because of language, or is that just the way it's done? It's just the way it's done, actually. Wow. Yeah. Different, right? Yeah, because usually an AD maybe on a movie or TV show, they're if they're directing anybody, they're directing the extras. Yeah, and the background talent. Right. So I mean, I, I guess there's different directors have different methods, but the the majority of the directors I've worked with, uh, who are all great, have their own vision. I'm sure they've they've gone through the ranks and you know did the AD stuff and everything. Uh, they would just you know give me an idea of what they want, and then I'll try to figure it out for them. I find that interesting though because you say the AD ranks because I always observe that going through the AD ranks does not necessarily lead to being a director because no. a lot of times an AD is more like a coordinator. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a profession in its own. A lot of ADs don't actually move on. It's, it's a different skill set. They don't move it's on to a different being a skill set. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. Like you said before in the past, you know, a director is one of those jobs that you can actually come in fresh from grad school or from school or whatever coming in and you don't have to have any experience with there. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right with that. It's just, they have to have that vision. They have to be, uh, very strong in believing that vision. And they also have to per, like deliver that, convey that to, you know, the rest of the crew, uh, what he wants. But yeah, the assistant director is, he's the one who, who schedules, you know, the shoot in terms of like what, what is shot first, what is shot last, yeah. the breaks, everything. So you're coordinating everything, but you also have to manage, the talent and everybody else on set. So you're the boss when it comes to this, like when the camera rolls, you're the boss of the set. Probably a little bit of good cop, bad cop too, right? Maybe the director's back there saying, oh, Berman, I want, I'd go tell him that wasn't, that wasn't good. <laughs> that wasn't good, do it again. And yeah. so he kind of is fine and you got to go out and you go, oh, come on, do it again. So who was the director on this one? He was an American director, right? Yes, uh, his, he was an American director. His name was Ithio. Oh, interesting. Ithio, yeah, uh, and he, very great guy. Um, and it was interesting because his uh, thing was all about him and his wife is like a, a directing duo. So a lot of uh, commercials that they uh, direct, they would either do it together or one will do the pre-production, the other will do the post-production or, or whatnot. So they'll, they'll juggle the roles. Right. So when in the beginning, when, when this job was pitched and uh, they were pitching the idea or whatever they were doing, they did it as a couple. And I still remember being on the call, conference call when I was still, uh, I think, in Hong Kong doing the other job. Uh, they were both on the call trying to figure things out and everything. But only Ithio, the husband, uh, that came over to Shanghai to do the actual shoot. And the reason why is because they had a newborn uh, in L.A. So they didn't want to bring uh, the child over so at such a young age to Shanghai. So Now, some, a lot of people do work in pairs, directing. But one important thing you have to note is... I still think you have to uh, split the director's fee. <laughs> you don't get two director's <laughs> fee. No, you don't. It's still right? the same director's fee, yeah. So how was the relationship working with him on, on location in China? Did he uh, have some shocks? He was, he was shocked, but I think he was prepared. He had friends who's worked in Asia before that yeah. give him some stories. And uh, when I got there, we were there like a week before the actual shoot date. So we were together at the office working on the storyboards, working on all that stuff, uh, talent and everything. So we had, a, we had a chance to kind of like, you know, spend time together and I was kind of prepping him and getting him ready about what, you know, what, what to expect. It's very different. Like shooting in, in Shang, Shanghai was very different than shooting in North America. 
I mean, it worked out. In what out. way? Can you give me one example? Uh, one example is that um, the, the crew is very different. Like, you, you would walk onto set, and for this one, we were doing a studio shoot, right? You would walk into set and realize there's tons of crew members, more than like North America. And yes. you're like, what is going on here? But half of them are just kind of standing around, and you don't really know what their roles are. And the reason for this, and I think it's changing. I mean, it's always evolving in, in China because, you know, it's opening up, opening up, right? Um, because salary is so cheap there, manpower is so cheap there, they'll just throw in a bunch. They're not experienced, but at least you have strength in numbers, I guess. Right. That's the way they look at it. And it was, it's a make work program almost. I mean, I remember when I was shooting there, uh, we wanted to rent a small jib, a small six foot mini jib. Yeah. And we had to have a dude come with us. And I had to talk through my fixer to try to convince them, please don't let us take this dude because we were running and gunning and another guy on the set meant you know, more hotel rooms, more meals. Yeah. And I think uh, the other thing is the fact that, and uh, this probably isn't just for China, but for anywhere else, there was a language barrier. I myself, I don't speak Mandarin, I speak yeah. Cantonese, but in Shanghai, it's, it's all Mandarin. So just trying to get like a time, like, okay, I want this set up, you know, I, I want a jib here and blah, 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 set up. How long is it going to take? They'll give, you a, they'll give you a time, 10 minutes, but it's never 10 minutes. No. And I think it's not because they're lying to you or anything. It's because there might be a misinterpretation or miscommunication of what exactly is needed. And then as they start putting it together, they realize, okay, it doesn't take 10 minutes. Right. So that happens a lot. So a lot of stuff we're setting up will take half an hour as, as opposed to the five minutes that I was promised. So but you know you can't really set up anything in five minutes. Like that's pretty unrealistic. I would right. But think. in my mind, it's kind of like. But then just tell me the actual time. Like, yeah. Why am I getting these different times? And I don't want to blame them for it. I'm pretty sure it's uh, some sort of miscommunication or something like that that happens frequently. But it went well. I think it went well. I think um, overall, uh, you know, we braved the challenge. The challenges really came where uh, a lot of requests from clients were changing. But that's pretty normal for a lot of lot of video shoots, uh, commercial shoots out yeah. there. So apart from that, I mean, it was your things happen and you, you try to solve it. But that's just pretty much the life and the day of a commercial production. Now, I know you were a little bit concerned going into it about the talent. Yeah. An up-and-coming star that maybe had a reputation of being a diva. Yes. How did that play out? That, um, it, it was good and bad. Okay. It was, a, it was this girl. She was very nice. Uh, on set, she seemed very nice. And um, she is, uh, she, in the past year and a half, she became a huge star in, in China. But very, very local, very local star and right. everything. And I don't think like Hong Kong, Taiwan, all those other places are not aware of her presence yet. Um, and but you're still talking about a billion people that maybe are aware. Yes, exactly. Right? That, so, all that really matters. Really. Yeah. So um, we were told that she, she's a bit of a diva. Um, when, so when the day come, came on set, she was fine. And she was really good. Like once you call action, she turned it on for the camera. She knew exactly. You didn't really have to direct her. All right. You just had to tell her what you want. And then she got it done. Oh, wow. Nice. And more. Right. But uh, then behind closed doors, uh, I re we remember we were like choosing wardrobe for her. And then we're like, okay, we we're told that she will only wear wardrobe that she brought um, and uh, or her team brought, not her, but her team brought. And when we did say, okay, fine, we'll choose this set. Then we, kept, we, we hear her back saying, oh, she doesn't want to wear that. So we're like, okay, well, you guys told us these are the three we have to choose from. And now you're telling me, no, you can only go with this one because she refuses to wear the other one. So uh. I'm not really sure if it's her being a diva or the team was being difficult or there's some kind of communication thing. But we did experience a bit of that. But I'm sure if you go to the States and you're working with any big star, there will be restrictions and everything that to some people might be, you know, Sure. Yeah. There, you know, sometimes people, 
they're just uh, looking out for their own, you know, self-interest, which they have to, right? Yeah, it's their absolutely. Per- their appearance, they have to look well yeah. and they have to be comfortable. And yeah. So I think from what we were told, I don't think it was as bad. And I think it was right. Pretty normal. And like, like you said, they're just protecting themselves. They have to, right? It's yeah. their job. And sometimes you're right, though. It's a sometimes it's the team. It's a team. It's yeah. the team. Either they get something in their head that they think that they need to do, or sometimes they think they need to assert some authority, or they're just being very protective. Yeah. Oftentimes it doesn't come from the talent; it comes from the team. Yeah, exactly. Them. Okay. So, what's the single biggest takeaway you have from that shoot? Single biggest takeaway from that shoot was that I needed to, like, like I, I always tell you, right? I go into these shoots hoping to learn something. So, what I've learned is if I'm going into a place of foreign language. I really need to make sure I have a, you know, a team with me, a couple people with me that speak the language, that understand production to help me convey what I needed. So a lot, a lot of times I, find my, I found myself running around set just screaming off the top of my head going, I need a light here. I need, who? And everybody's just staring at me going, and I'm like, this I don't crazy. speak this language. They're not understanding me. This is my bad. You know? They must be going, wow, this Chinese guy can't speak Chinese. Oh, yeah. I know, because it's a trip when you travel it over there is. if you're Chinese and you don't speak Chinese. Oh, yeah. I Canada, get these disappointing America. judgmental oh, yeah. they just, looks. They've never seen anything like it. Yeah. They don't think it's physically possible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so I'm just running around like an idiot. Like, midway through, I, I realized, okay, people are looking at me like I'm an idiot. So this is, this is on me again. Right? I should have figured this one out. You know, I can't expect everybody else to speak my language. Right. That's not the case. I'm in their house. Right? So, so bring more support. Bring more support, have a little more respect. Like I think you can always, you can never give enough respect for, you know, places you go to when you're producing or working. It's their country. It's their land. You got to respect that. And I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great advice. So while you were in Hong Kong, you met up with a former colleague of yours, Kelvin Mock. Yes. Yes. Kelvin Mock. Um, In fact, both the jobs that I did in Hong Kong and Shanghai were from him and his company. Right. And we go way back, like way back. I think he was... My second job, my first job was at Fairchild, the television station, and yep. then I got poached over to China Syndrome, which is where he was the, the more senior producer. It's weird because when I, when I first joined, I'm looking at him going, oh man, he's, the, he's, he's like the executive producer. He's the guy, right? But through the interview that I had with him, I realized that he himself was saying, no, I was just starting out. I didn't really know exactly what I was doing. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Faking it till you make it. <laughs> Faking it till you make it. Right? He did a great job because I believed everything he said. But I mean, he helped me out. He kind of watched over me. Uh, and I was, I'm always grateful for that. Well, he works on some really big budget international TV spots. Big, big budgets. Big budgets. Yeah. And uh, could be million dollar yep, spots. Quite easily. a number of them are. Um, and uh, all, over the, all over the world yeah, too. Yeah, I think while you were there, during the time that you were there, you were helping him with the spots in Hong Kong and Shanghai. But they were also doing shoots in Thailand and New Zealand as well. So Absolutely. Was- yeah. So, and that's the reason why he brought me over, um, you know, to over there is because he needed someone that he could trust to help him. He had at that time within the span of two months, he had six jobs going and they're yeah. all pretty big budget jobs. I think though the one in New Zealand was a tire company. They need to sh- uh, shoot winter. So they had to go all the way down there for winter. Right. Uh, and funny story there was that right before the day of the shoot in Hong Kong, he's like, okay, I got to go. So he flies down. And then soon after that, I get a text from him once he lands. Like, okay, our problems are already arising. We're missing the tires. So oh, apparently, the tires didn't yeah, arrive. The tires, oh. they, the tires arrived to the airport, and then the truck took it, uh, a transport truck took it uh, from there to the four-hour drive to the location. It fell off the truck <gasps> or somehow disappeared. We don't know how. 
Wow. Luckily, because they're very experienced. They've done a lot of car commercials, tire commercials for around the world. Yeah. They were smart enough to have one producer go down from Shanghai hand carrying a <laughs> tire. One tire? One tire. Just to be the safe. The hero tire. The hero tire. So they shot the rest of that commercial where they made sure that every time they had a close-up, it was just that one tire. <laughs> and that was it. But it turned out, from what I heard, it's it turned out work. great. Of course. It's, that's it turned what, out great. That's what so. you do. Well, it's a great interview with Calvin. And uh, I learned some stuff that I didn't know about his career. And I think uh, the listeners are going to uh, find it valuable as well. Yeah, I hope so. It was a great interview. Let's dig in. All right. Well, first off, thank you so much for joining me on our podcast. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, Even though it is my room. <laughs> it is a room. Yes, we are in a room. Remind me to take a picture of this whole thing. Okay. So uh, if you can introduce yourself to uh, to the audience right now. Hi, I'm uh, Kelvin. I am an executive producer for a commercial production house out in Shanghai. Okay. And we've known each other for a very, very long time. Uh, I believe... You're the date guy, so I'm going to ask you how... Uh, 1999, I believe. 99? 99, so we're looking at uh, 18 years. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Pushing two decades. Pushing two decades, and uh, been an interesting two decades. It's been an interesting (laughs) two decades. Right. So for for people who don't know, Kelvin is one of my early mentors, I would say. Mm -hmm. I I was at China Syndrome as my first job as a producer, and Kelvin was my senior producer or executive producer. I'm not really sure what no, time I was then. still a producer. Or I was start, still starting out back then. It was just more like, uh, I guess, having someone to help me. Right. And just learning and, uh, you know, trying to teach what I knew uh, to him. And then if he would take... Okay, let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, you were just starting. I don't think you were just starting out. You, you were in it for... <laughs> at that time, how long were you a producer already? I probably just started as a producer. I just because I was a production manager before then, um, my I guess my path is much more different than a lot of people. Um, I was went more the traditional route than most people did. Most people did. So right. okay, before we go get into mm-hmm. all that, mm-hmm. and it's weird because in my mind I'm always I, I went in thinking you were like the the top dog there, and you were in I that were. thing. Yes, yes. Where are you right now? What are, what do you where are we right now? And what are you doing right now? Um, I'm an executive producer for one of the largest uh, production houses in China. In in terms of commercial production world, we're a fairly big company. Right. Um, most most production houses can only do one or two jobs at a time. Uh, we can do five or six at a time. And what kind of jobs are we talking? When you're saying big, like are these jobs big jobs, or are we talking about small jobs? No, we're talking fairly big jobs where you, I mean you can travel around the world. Uh, you use very expensive equipment. And what are the clients uh, that you have um, under your belt? You know, KFC, McDonald's, uh, you know, Aldi, Volkswagen, uh, Coca-Cola. And so now, how long have you been at? Uh, in, in Shanghai with a New Life Films? Uh, 10 years. 10 years? Yes. So what's your role now? The same, same that I was, was when I first started as an executive producer, which basically I look for work. You look and, for work. And what, what, what has been very, you know, you meet with agencies and you meet with people around the world. I get emails from people that you just meet up. Yeah. And uh, you strike a conversation if there's a project. It's not only uh, people that you look for work, or it's people that are asking for your work. Right. Um, 
so you meet with suppliers mm-hmm. and, and you meet with um, directors and you meet with different clients or companies that want to do right. do something so so you it's a it's a mixture of a give and take of both right and these jobs are not small jobs i'm talking about like the directors are coming from other places right yes directors fly fly in and with a whole crew and entourage uh, this one's very funny where the director is his own little celebrity. And <laughs> the one that we're working the, on. The one that we're working on, uh, where he has, you know, it's the, you know, when you have, do you think the celebrities have like, I only want the green M&Ms in my bowl at my hotel room. So we're talking something like that. So that actually exists. Yeah. You have does, directors yeah, like that. Yes, yes, yes. Even in the commercial world. Even in the commercial world. Wow. Right. Um, it's. You know, this is probably the second time I've dealt with someone like this. So yep. the, the first time was a was a challenge, but I think we're ready for for this one. Right. right. And and your company is quite international because mm-hmm. even look at this project. You have a director that's coming from North America. Mm-hmm. You have a client that's coming from where? Um, New York. New York. Yeah. Right. So it's not. Yeah, it's not as as it's global in the sense that the the project is being done in North America and it's also being done in Europe. Right. And it's been done in Asia. So it's a look at three city global production so they'll, they'll, these are the these are the big ones right uh, where where there's a lot of money uh exchanging hands and, and stuff like that so. and then at the same time your other project that has to do with babies the director is coming from yet another place yes 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 yeah. uh, south africa south africa wow yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. you're all over place right yeah yeah and then so that's that's where we're at right now mm-hmm. you know you're working for one of the biggest production house in asia mm-hmm. and i mean i'm sure it could compete with the world as well Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. right? And you're dealing with talent from all walks of, like all different places of, in the world. It's a very, it's a global thing that you're dealing with right now. But how did this all start? Um, by accident. By accident. Yes, yes. I, mean, I would say everything is fortunate accident. A fortunate accident. So yeah. you're, by accident, are you saying that when you first came into this industry, it wasn't mm-hmm. your initial choice? Not commercials. Not commercials. Not commercials. No, not, not commercials. Uh, I don't think anyone wants to do commercials as a first choice when when they get into. Well, it's not what they're thinking, right? No. no, no. So when you first started, is it? Did you study this? Like, were you like, oh, I wanted to be in film, uh, television, and film? I I think with most people, they didn't really know what they wanted to do. Okay, and what were you? What, what was your kind of perspective, or what were you aspiring to when you first? Well, got into I, th- I think it was more something. It's like when you when I was in university, um, I I got a BA um, in international relations, and again, that was more something like I don't think it was of interest. It was just more of like a general, right? A more general rounded uh, arts degree. General um, round arts degree, and you went to you were in Vancouver, and you uh, yeah, I went to UBC. UBC, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, which is University of British Columbia right. for, for people that is not from Canada. And it was just more like what was great about any type of university is that you get to take electives so that these are things that were not in your, like your, your certain levels of like if you're taking uh, international relations, you have to take politics, you have to take economics and stuff like that. Right. The, 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 your core courses that you have to take. But then they force you to take electives so things that you would never think about taking right. uh, for credit and I think uh, I took one of them was uh, history of film history of film yeah okay as a and of course for history of film you, you thought oh great you get to watch movies yeah <laughs> so and you know so every every Wednesday I think it was a night course so every Wednesday at 7 p.m. would watch a movie how great is that uh, yeah <laughs> you watch a movie for a whole entire year so so that's um, 
Yeah, I did that, and it did quite well in that course in terms of like art, uh, I guess, critiquing and, and stuff like that. Because you're you're just writing about what is what is what is film, right? Right. And I think at the same time you're going, okay, what is what else is there? Like like what am I what am I doing in life? So you kind of caught the bug in that sense. Well, in the, in the sense that okay, that's this is something I might be good at. Okay. okay. Um, and then I took another elective course, which was film production. Okay. Um, and this is all at UBC in terms of getting my credit. And I seem to be somehow adept at doing that also, actually, the, the actual hands-on production of, of, of a film. So, um, and then at that time, I think, uh, I would say Ken Burns, the documentary filmmaker, came out with um, The Civil War. Okay. As a, as a documentary. Right. And that, that was something very interesting for, for me to watch. So, uh, yeah, that was probably a very big inspiration uh, in terms of, of uh, hey, this is, this is very interesting. It's a storytelling um, idea. And I think, oh, there's tons of these stories out there that no one has ever talked about. So your first kind of uh, introduction to the whole thing or your first, that created your first passion was, was based on documentary. Uh, it's based on documentary in terms of, uh, I mean, that, that, that was part of it. And then, I mean, you know, I think movies, there's you know, movies at that time that inspired and passion. Um, Cinema Paradiso mm-hmm. had a, a, a big effect on me in terms of emotional feeling as, as something cinematic that, wow, the, the power of cinema uh, is something that, well, like, you know, you, you never didn't. I guess everyone has a favorite film and stuff like that. Right. Um, but I think that just created an emotional thing that just, you know, even more curiosity uh, into something. So, okay, filmmaking. Filmmaking. Kind of scary because you hear so many different stories, um, people making it, don't making it. Right. Right. And so it, it, is, it is one of those things uh, people go, well, it's very difficult to get into film. Right. And then you think about it and it's, so it's being a lawyer. That was my thought. My, my thought. My thought process. So, so as being a lawyer. So, so you mean so the Kelmont that I know right now yeah, could have yeah. taken a completely different path and been, been like a, a paralegal, uh, not paralegal, but a, a lawyer. Not a lawyer, but I think international relations brought on that. Okay, maybe I'd work in the foreign service, so maybe right. I'd be okay. working in the consulate somewhere else. Okay. Um, yeah, but it was just more. Okay, let's investigate and uh, move into. I guess more of a, uh, a, a traditional sense. How do, what do I do to get started in film? In film, right? So wait, before we go into that, did you change your major no. when you studied, or you just finished your BA and you're like you came yeah. out of school and you're like okay. I finished my uh, BA. I took uh, a year off, but I took like two two more film courses. Okay. One was with a Hollywood a Hollywood producer that does was showing how you do low budget low budget films. Okay. Okay. Um, it was a two-day workshop that, that I took. It was just an interesting insight on how, how to make a, uh, a low-budget film right. during that period. Okay. Uh, and, you know, that period, we're talking about the late, late 80s, and people were making films for $10,000. $10, okay. Um, and, and he was showing you, this is how they did it. Right. Right. And then the second course was uh, another uh, production course, but taught by a working filmmaker. Okay. On um, knowing what you need to do, what you, what you, you will, how you're supposed to act on set. Yeah. Um, when I took took that, it was more yeah again trying to figure out what the what is it what is all this and this is you know 
Right. Right. So you got all that uh, knowledge now, like at least you have an introduction to it. Yes, sir. Yeah. And uh, you're graduated. Mm -hmm. What happened next? I took a year off. (laughs) (laughs) Took a year off. I took a year off school um, and just traveled. Okay. Um, Were you still kind of trying to figure out? No, I I I think I knew. I think by that time I said, okay, let's let's try to give this a shot. And then uh, I said, okay, let's apply to film schools. Oh, so you went to film school afterwards? You continue your education? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I went to film school. And where did you go? I went to Ryerson in Toronto, which is, um, at that time, it was one of the two. If you were very serious to going to film, it was basically the two film schools that you went to was Ryerson or York. If you were in uh, Canada? If you're in Canada. So there was nothing in Vancouver at that time? Nope. There was, there was, uh, they had their own film programs, but they weren't as established. Oh, wow. Okay. And what what I knew about film was networking networking right so I realized I should be going to uh, the places where if for, for, for even starting out uh, the best place to go is where where you know going to school in a place where you can network strongly right and you know of course I got you know you can be accepted to a whole bunch of film programs that's that's not the case and it was a struggle for yep. me to decide um, if I should go to uh, to Toronto or stay in Vancouver with my family and friends. Right. And um, it was more, okay, I need to do this. Okay. And um, at that time, it was, it's much different than it is now. At, at that time, uh, filmmaking was actual film. It right. Was, it wasn't with video or digital. So you would actually have to use movie film to, to shoot your stuff in. And you're and, cutting actual and, film. And you're cutting actual film. And, wow. And you are, it's a much more, I think, it was a much more precise uh, learning way because everything was so expensive. Right. And so, I mean, your, your tuition, of course you could be, you're paying for your tuition, but your school supplies, mm-hmm. um, you know, five to 10,000 a year. Wow, and, and at that, that time, that's a uh, lot of money. Yeah, yes, it's still a lot of money. Still right a lot of money, right? Right. right. So it, by doing that, like, did you? Is it one a uh, one year program? It's a four year program. <sighs> right. So people are disillusioned with yeah. film schools. Yeah. There's tons of people that are disillusioned with film schools. This this the right way. Did you see that those four years made a big difference in your life? Was it wasteful, or was it the best thing, best decision you made? Um, mixture of both. Mixture of both. Well, because I think what if you expect to people to teach you, yeah, they can only teach you so much, and you have to learn everything by yourself by trial and error. Right. But what's good about film school is you get to create your own ideas and work on your own ideas, not on someone else's ideas. Right. So that's what made that's what made you feel okay. I like doing this. I think this is cool. This is this is something that I'm good at. Right. But then you also realize. When you're in film school, there's a lot of talented people <laughs> that that you're working with. Was it very like the the people you're working with was really really talented at that time? Well, I think you you feel you know I think everyone's everyone's different. I think that everyone has someone. Some people are much more confident than other people mm-hmm. in terms of how they do their work. I don't think I was that confident um, in terms of how he's doing stuff. What made it fun was that I got to experience from people from all across Canada. Right. I meet people from all across Canada, um, and that's what made it interesting. Right. Um, but it, in terms of the film school process, you I mean you there's always you're gonna always have your rebels that 
do something really different or yeah. you have people that, that conform. Yeah. Um, what were you? I conformed. You conformed? Yeah, of okay. course. I was conformed because I didn't, I didn't know. It wasn't in terms of experimenting or doing stuff. I was just coming from academ- academia. So you, you keep on doing your, your academia. Right. And then the the school offered different types of, in terms of specialization as you, as you get further on in, in the education. So you can go through producing, you can go through directing, you can go through cinematography, you can go through art direction, you can go through editing. Uh-huh. And what did you uh, I, And I went more through the producing and post-production. Okay. Right. So... Um, it, the reason why you did that was because... Shelf life. <laughs> so, so, so survival. You did that for no, survival. No, no. I did it because when you when you look at people in the industry, where where they are, how many people were still working, and you see people who had the gray hairs yeah. that are still working, and usually the post-production editors as producers. Okay. And so I was thinking, okay, I wanna, if I want to work on this for a very long period of time, what should I be doing to 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 last that long? Right. right? Um, because uh, I think directors, directors and, and uh, DOPs, they're of course they, they these are the bright glamour jobs. Yeah. And uh, if, you know, you, 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 there are people that are go a long time, but it's a very physically taxing. Right. At some point, where where people's bodies uh, physically and mentally break down after, right. after a certain burn out and yeah, burn out so so I figured okay I wanted to last a very long time so I want to be doing this when I'm 55 right you 60. wanted to have a long career with yeah this. a long a yeah, long career right right okay so 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 so, so that was that, that was one thing and then you know I think it's it comes down to what your own skills are like are they are you good at taking orders giving orders organization yeah um doing things your head you know putting things down how well you explain yourself did this process these four years in ryerson help you kind of learn about yourself and figure out where your place would be in this industry um i just knew that okay i have these i have a skill set okay that i learned from skill all right and i could use it in some way i don't know how <laughs> okay. uh, when I, once I graduated, yeah, I spent the summer in Toronto uh, couch surfing. Couch surfing. Uh, all my friends that I went to school with, I would stay at their place and I would sleep on a couch. So I spent the whole entire summer of four months looking for work and just crashing at your friends' and couch. crashing at my, my friends' couch, right? And um, yeah, it, and and you know, I think I probably had three jobs that summer. Three jobs. That's it. The three jobs are two days, two or three days each. Oh, that's it. That's it. That summer. Yeah, that summer when I was trying to look for work. Because I think once you get out of school, and most jobs in the film world is freelance. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so you're not accustomed to basically work in a freelance environment. Okay. All right. Because you're thinking... You know, most jobs are nine to five, or you know, you're, you're using like even TV shows is like you do a series for eight months, and yep. then you, then you have you have a break for four months. And yep. you, if you have the job, if you have, if they renew the series, then you're you're working for eight months. If not, you have to look for something else. So you were couch surfing for the for you know the the summer. Yeah. You had three jobs that were two or three days each. Yeah. At that time, what were you thinking? Like, were you freaking out, or what? What was it? Well, like, I think it. Y- I think with everything, if you want something, you have to be patient, uh, persevere. Yes, but was that your mentality at that moment, or were you like, 
did I make the right decision or no I just think I knew it would take time you know with any job you need experience right and how were those few like the, the three jobs you had mm-hmm. what was that experience to you did it, did it further reaffirm that this is what you wanted to do no <laughs> no no, no. <laughs> what were these jobs no uh, they're just PA okay I was PA so I was uh, one is just a pure solo PA and one, one was I was a video assist okay uh, on, a, on a McDonald's commercial Oh, cool. And um, and that was solely out of luck that I was went into an equipment house for a job interview. Okay. And they were looking for someone to video so I was going to find anyone. And then the guy that was interviewing me was going, you, are you available? I go, yeah, sure. I'll try it. <laughs> right? A lot, of, a lot of things that you, a lot of things what you wind up doing is through opportunity. Yeah. Uh, luck of opportunity. Right. And you got to know that you have to take those opportunities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have, to, you, have, you have to take it even though you might not be ready for it. Right. So what was that after those that summer? What was your first big break into like you know consistent work? Well, okay. So I think what happened was um, I was again. This is with school networking. Okay. Okay. So basically, one of the PA's jobs was with a production company that I at the end worked with you at after that got hired. Right. Uh, but the first one was a big was a job in New York. The company was selling emergency software for uh, all the all the police and fire stations in the United States. So, so they want to do a corporate video that was like a movie. Wait, this was in New York. Yes. Yes. Okay. How, how, and that was because I was net uh, the I was networking with a guy from school. Yeah. That somehow got this contract. Okay, so you're helping him out. You were in Toronto doing it though. I was no, I was in Vancouver. I was in Vancouver at that time because I because I ran all the jobs and I ran all the money, so I moved yeah, back, back home. home. I moved back home. Okay. And but then I got a call from this guy <laughs> and said, uh, can, "How would you want to try to work this out and do this this project?" So me and another classmate um, basically went out to New York and to try to figure out how to do this job which was way over our heads <laughs> in terms of doing something with I mean we're doing with fire trucks and police and aerial helicopters and explosions wow um, and it was way way above what we were experienced in terms of knowing what to do right but how did it turn out uh, I, I think it turned out okay yeah uh, and in terms of it was a great learning experience so no third degree burns you came out alive no but it was probably the best lesson which I think I've already told you about uh, because I was pulled over by this one AD uh-huh. on the life lesson that I've basically, what he told me, I've told you, I've told everybody else. And what is that? Uh, this is only a job. It's not, it's not, it's not surgery. That is true. This right? is like, that's, uh, that, that's the one thing I, I stress because you might think this is a dire situation that, that you need to get the shot or you need, it's someone's going to, someone's, it's, it's going to affect you or something so important. But at the end of the day, it's only a job. Someone's life is not going to uh, depend on it. Right. Right. And for those who don't know, like when I was uh, first starting out working with Kelvin, I was freaking out because it was all new to me. And Kelvin did pull me over one time and really did say, hey, it's just a job. You know, don't be so stressed out. So that's where you got it. You got it from that first job. I got it from the first job. And so so that that is, I mean, that is the one thing that I learned that it basically has gone through the rest of my career right uh, trying to tell people about a proper balance 
in in your career as well as your your social life or right. your personal life because okay. you need you need the both you need both to be able to survive in this career. Um, if you don't have it, something's going to suffer, and you're going to feel something that that's missing. Right, and, and you and and I know it's very difficult, yep. but it's something that you you yourself have to come to realize it, and no 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 one can teach you. Right, right. And then so after that job, it worked out. Clients mm-hmm. were happy. Mm-hmm. You went back to Vancouver. Um, yes, I went back to Vancouver, and then what happened? Then there was another emergency software type job in in Toronto. Okay, and so that time I went went back and I did that as a second time learning what to do uh, but at the same time one of my classmates got a job at a at uh, China Center Productions wait who's your classmate David Wong David Wong yes okay, okay. all right so he got a job there and uh, the production manager um, there was one to quit okay so they needed someone that was uh, wanted to to fill that role and David said oh why don't why not? Wait, it's a, he do the job because I've PA'd for them twice. Right. Okay. And they said, okay, let's. let's and that's how it. you started China Syndrome. That's how I started China Syndrome. So basically, I went. I didn't really PA. Yeah. Um, and I went straight from P, uh, PA to uh, production manager. Production manager. At least I had some training uh, from school. Yeah. But that's still way under in terms of what a commercial production house or is supposed to be I did I was still too wet behind the years to actually know what to be doing properly so you were pretty much thrown into like it was a trial by, trial by fire for you yes yes and how did that go like when you so you were way over your head mm-hmm. going into China syndrome mm-hmm. so what was your experience like what did you did you no I think I, the, the, the biggest problem is I didn't have any experience dealing with clients okay Right, I could do all the production stuff, and I, and I worked very hard. Yep. Um, and then you know, I think I think the, the hardest part, like I think the hardest part with everybody is, if you work hard, you get rewarded at the end. Right. Uh, but when you start working really hard, and you realize that you're working eighty hours a week, and and you're going, well, this is this is kind of insane. But part of it is because you're young. Right. And you don't have anywhere else to go. And right. so, so you stay at work much longer than you really need to. Right. Right. But that's but that's to make you look studious and and, and everything. But um, again, I was very lucky. Where okay, this is this is what you think like you a nine to five job. Right. Uh, which I had, which but most people again were working freelance. Yeah. And um, I guess I was just very lucky to be in that role. Right. Um, and most of the time the pay wasn't great. Yeah. But what it gave me was I got to learn. So it was pretty much paid education to a certain extent. Yes, yes. It was a paid education. I got paid to do stuff that, you know, the it was more paid opportunity to do a lot of stuff that um, if you're being apprentice with, with a with like a an art director or, or, or a producer or something like that. Right. Um, I got to learn by myself or, or figure things out. Yeah. So what is the advice that you like? I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of people, you know, getting into the industry now mm-hmm. and sometimes feel like a fish out of water or just, you know, really overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's the path that you've taken. What is the advice that you would give those people? That are overwhelmed or yeah, just, just starting out and just like, oh my god, what am I getting myself into? Well, I still think that right <laughs> to this day. <laughs> you it never changes. It never goes what. But I think I think with, with everything you do, I think it's more what you do in life. It's it's more. I mean, another proverb everyone always hears: 
do something you love that you never have to work another day in your, in your life. Right. Right. Is that something that you know pertains well, to you? Well, I think I think it's just that you're fortunate. I mean, you're all people are always looking for something that is interesting. Right. What's interesting in, in film, um, you know, commercial is much different from from long format or short format documentaries. Right. Um, where it's about self expression and stuff like that. Commercial world is more uh, about well, selling. Right. I don't think anyone wants to. Anyone want, No one wants to go in as a filmmaker to, to go in and say, "Oh, I want to make. I want to shoot a McDonald's commercial." Right. Commercial world is like a graphic artist. You're being hired to do someone else's job. Right. Like a, a job for a first person something. It's still it's, someone else's money. At the yeah, end it's day. Well, it, it's about to sell something, right? Yeah. Commercial yeah. is to sell something, um, but commercial, uh, like a movie, is regardless if it's Harold and Kumar or mm-hmm. or uh, something something more poetic. Yeah. Uh, it's art. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But commercial is about content and selling something. How I got stuck on it because I realized that documentary films don't make any money. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, in school, I, I did a 30 minute uh, docu- environmental documentary. Of course, everything is always well received. <laughs> and um, and then it was it was good. I got I sold it to a television station and we got distribution for a uh, VHS tapes, if you guys still remember that. Yeah. Uh, we got we were able to get a dis- distributor for a VHS in terms of selling, yeah. selling it. So that was my thesis school project. Uh, we paid uh, me and the person I work with. Uh, I think we shelled up like twelve or thirteen thousand dollars. So in terms of oh great, we have an investment. We could we 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 could sell this, right? Yeah. So we sold it to the TV station. They gave us one thousand five hundred dollars. Okay. That's it. That's it. And then uh, the distributor that was selling our VHS tape it was a good educational, good good. Right uh, to know exactly how it all works. Two hundred thirty-two dollars. And that's it. That's it. So we made basically fourteen hundred dollars on a thirteen fourteen thousand dollar investment. And right. Then, then we realized, okay, maybe this isn't, the, this isn't the avenue to go. Right. I mean, of course, you have stories to tell, but you also need to survive and make a living. Right. Absolutely. So when I accidentally stumbled onto this commercial world, mm-hmm. you start meeting people with different stories. Right. Right, so you could say yeah, these people have their own documentary stories and everything. So right, that you get there. So it was interesting in that sense that you get to meet these people who have their own stories and 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 you 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 work on you work on projects together. Um, and then what else was interesting is you're not stuck with a mundane. If you're an accountant, you would have to do tax forms. Right, and every day it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah, but with a commercial, you're you're exposed to different projects with different different things. One day that you might say, "Oh, we need to uh, go to Niagara Falls to shoot uh, a car commercial there," or next day is, "Oh, we need to go find a house right. with a swimming pool and, and, and shoot something." So it's so, always right? different. It's always different. Yeah. So, so so and then you're you're learned to be dealing with people. Right. Um, things that you learn is that you need to take your time uh, to learn it and it's always going to be experience right uh, and I was lucky enough to you know production writer slash producer uh, grow into that role right. and you know I've always asked me oh, to be a producer how, how many years how much experience do you need in something to be a producer of course you can be a producer right away right right yeah uh, but generally, with anything, you need at least five years. Five years to five. become like a good producer. To be a good producer, could be good at anything. Good at anything. You want to? You need five years. Okay. 
right? So, um, yeah, so I got that five years. Well, you got a little bit more than five yeah, years yeah, at China yeah. Syndrome. Yeah, yeah. So after that, you left. I left because more personal. Again, when you work eighty-hour work weeks and and you you look at you, you do self-reflection of your life, like eighty hours for seven it, years it, or seven it, and a half well, years. Well, not that. It, it got down later on because, again, uh, the first year worked a lot. I got a, an ulcer. Oh really? Yeah. The first year? The first. Well, the first three months. Wow. I got it because again I was not listening to the ADs as this is not this is right right so you're working you're always nervous because you want to impress and, and, and you want to do stuff and then you realize you know what this is this is not good for your health if, if you're like this so you right. have to slow down you have right. to yeah you, you have to do that um and then you just realize rationalize how you get better or, or how you do stuff you just have to be efficient right and then you realize that okay there's the some of these life skills that you learn about planning it's like I used to you know, it's like I used to be the one that would organize going out f- with my friends to go for a party or, or a restaurant or, or something. I would call my friends, hey, want to be here at this time? So this is, again, <laughs> sort of like that. You're, you're organizing people to, to go to be a place at, at a certain time where you're making a reservation. Yeah. Or so far. So I would I would always do that when I was younger. Right. Right. So this is, you know, th- that's a life skill. You know, from that and then going forcing yourselves to talk to people more and yeah. try to be more professional trying to be serious the hardest thing is when you're young yeah no one takes you seriously okay yeah right yeah all right no one's gonna take you seriously and if you try too hard yeah no one's gonna take you seriously <laughs> so no matter right. what your age is gonna be a, an obstacle yeah yeah your, your age is always gonna be an obstacle in the beginning and then what people will realize if you know your stuff and you're not trying to sell yourself bullshit yourself your right. way through they come to recognize you as okay you know what you're talking about right 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 and most people can tell within the first two minutes if you know if you know what you're talking about right that's true right yeah so you can act big and stuff like that but it's gonna everything will always catch up to you yeah right and people can see through people that if you if you're if you've been in, in the business long enough people can see through you do you see a lot of people that kind of try to bullshit their way through yeah. this business yep yeah. Always. 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 But there are some that just somehow still survive. Yeah. What's the reason? Why is that? Why do some people kind of slip through the cracks and kind of fake their way through? No. Their talent. That's their talent. That's their talent. <laughs> That's their talent. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. So back to your career. You, uh-huh. you finished your, a, a, a big chapter of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, you finished uh, Giant mm-hmm. Syndrome. You moved on because of personal reasons and everything. Mm-hmm. What, was the, what was your next step there? Freelance. Freelance. I actually tried to do freelance work for for uh, four or five years. Four or five years in Toronto. Uh, no, I was moved back to I moved back to Vancouver. Okay. And, and uh, whatever whoever had a job called me up. Mm-hmm. I would I I did that for uh, for basically five years. Five years. How did I go? I at that time I didn't really know your progress. No, you know uh, what 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 happened was uh, the company that I'm working with right now more on a full time basis in in. Uh, China, yeah, uh, had you know uh, wanted to sort of expand a little bit, have maybe have a have a, a presence in North America, right? And I said, okay, sure. Why don't I start a your branch in, in my, North America in, in my uh, parents' basement? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. That's yeah. I, I think I remember something. Like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the way how you make things look a little bit more more serious, you put sweet in front of the your address there, and you make a it was actually was the basement. It was the second floor of my parents' bedroom that I put 
they make it second, so it sounds like an office. Right, okay. Right? But, I mean, with, with production, you can have it anywhere. Anywhere, yeah, that's right? true. Right. So, yeah, so we just had name card addresses and everything made up for... Uh, yeah. Right. And did you find success in that venture? Uh, I found a... Uh, more of a learning experience. You get, okay. you know, you get the freedom mm-hmm. to choose, pick and choose, yep. or do whatever. Yeah. Right. So. Um, but eventually, you moved on to you, you. Well, you joined that company full time. Yeah. Again, you know, I think that was more uh, more of a situation where they realized in Shanghai at that time, advertising it was still starting out. Right. And the expertise and. The knowledge and talking to people, they still need someone that um, I guess knew what they were talking about. And but wait a minute, knew what they're talking about. So you're saying that you were going to Shanghai, the the talent there wasn't quite ready for this industry. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because I guess with, with any new industry, you're, you, I mean, at China at that time, uh, advertising, you know, was basically in, in its infancy. Really? Um, okay. Advertising basically started in China in 1999. What was it before that? Oh, it was there, were, there. There was no such thing as advertising. There was no what uh, really? Yeah, there wasn't the, the way how advertising. There is there was no advertising as the way how we perceive what advertising is. Right. Right. Um, once they started letting people into in terms of putting commercials onto air. Oh, was it a government thing? Yes. Oh, it was. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So they kind of opened the gates for uh, corporations and everything yes. to start marketing to the yes. people. Yes, because yeah, it wasn't. So that's a huge timing thing for you guys to be there at that time. Yes. Yeah. And you guys, from what I understand, you guys are one of the forerunners, you know, of a big time production house doing commercials there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That to me sounds like it was like the wild wild west all over again, but in China. Yes. Yeah. It was. It was. It was. Um, one thing when I first moved over there, the common answer was, "Well, that's just China." All right. Just well, the way how, how, how they do things. That's just China. That's how they do things. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, you know, it's it's kind of hard to accept. It's okay, so what what is that? What is hard to accept? What are, what are we talking? Well, about? I think it's just more on how they do production per se. Yeah, uh, they might give you something that you don't expect them to do. Right, uh, that's shoddy, some sort of shoddy workmanship, and they say, oh, that that's just how they do. It's like how to prod and proxy someone to to do certain things. Okay, and the level, the quality level and quality of standards is much is inferior to what you would be expecting. Right. So, but you're were you doing Chinese commercials for the China market? Was it like local companies producing commercials for for uh, the local market, or was it in, uh, foreign investors coming in? Or foreign companies like, I don't know, Coca-Cola or something coming into China and, and wanting to... It was a mixture of both. Okay. And so it's a mixture of both. And again, I came in late. I didn't... I mean, I came in 2007. So it's been going on for seven or eight years before I uh, before I got it. Okay. And it was still kind of crazy. Yeah. It's still kind of crazy in terms of irrationality, in terms of how, how, how they did things. What's the craziest story that you could tell me that really kind of stuck into when you first got there? I don't think there was cr- craziness. I thought so, sometimes you, there's things that are... You think they're very efficient. Yeah. Um, I remember there was a time that we were shooting commercial and a truck backed into a light, uh, into a, a lamp pole, and they crushed the lamp pole. And what surprised me is when all 30 or 40 minutes later, they fixed it. Just like that? They just fixed it. If you would never see that happen in the West where, where if someone crushed the light pole, it would take a day or two in terms of authority or ready for, for something to fix. Right. So, so to me, that was kind of impressive. Right. 
right? But I think you hear more stories. Some of the the stories are more political in terms of the advertising world, which more on the scary side where directors do things that you didn't, didn't never expected to do. Right. Give me an example. So, I mean, we, we were shooting, we we're going to shoot a commercial in, in New Zealand. Okay. So they had a, um, uh, the client and agency had a meeting. They had their first meeting with the director. Yeah. And after the meeting, they fired the, that director. They, oh, yeah. the client just fired the director. Yeah. Right. So, so what happens after that? No, then we have to look for another director because there's, we've already committed into shooting in New Zealand in terms of everything. and. Um, Were these directors coming from China as well, or? Oh, well, the, that one was a foreign director. Okay. Uh, in, in terms of in terms of it, and then uh, you're going to have a mixture of both foreign directors. So you're going to have local directors. You're going to have uh, directors from Asia. All right. Um, was there a huge uh, disconnect in terms of culture? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Is it is it better now? Uh, yes, yes. But I think people. Are, I mean, I think it's it's a maturing market. People are understanding. Eastern uh, Chinese culture as well as Western culture. Right. So, in terms of understanding, yeah. I mean, again, another example of a a thing that has happened to us before was um, a director actually fired the agency from a project, and he didn't want to do it. So you wait, wait. How? Hold on. How does a director fire? It doesn't. Well, he did. He after the first after the PPM, he chose he didn't want to do the job because he didn't like what the agency was was telling him to do. So what happened after that? We had to look for another director. Okay, that, uh, yeah. so the director kind of declined. Yeah, of out well, of well yeah, you, you decline in a way that, that it doesn't normally happen. Yeah. Right, so, I mean, that yeah, so, I mean, you're gonna always experience something new that you've never experienced before. In China? In China. Wow, okay. Right. So is was it really, was it a lot harder than you know, back in China syndrome or when you're freelancing in Canada, working in China? Well, I think, what you've learned, what I've learned is no amount of money is enough money <laughs> with any budget. With any budget, right? No money. No and you, you work with some pretty big budgets too. Uh, yeah, yeah. What's, what's like the biggest budget that you worked with, worked on? Well, over a million, at least over a million. At least over a million. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about a million USD or? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, if you think about it, I started off working at $5,000 projects. Yeah. Right? So, so over a million. And I think what was interesting with me as, as uh, my career, uh, basically I went from doing local TV spots. Yeah. Um, and I didn't go into the domestic, the next step is you do, you do domestic commercials. Right. And then you do international commercials. Right. Um, I went from doing local TV spots to big international commercials. Right, straight up. Yeah, straight up. Uh, and again, fortunate accident. Fortunate accident. Yeah, right. And, yeah. and it's, it's, I would, yeah, you could say being right, at, being the right place at the right time. Right. Right, but I think what, what, what will get you through is your work ethic and your, and your reputation. Your reputation is probably the biggest thing that you, you, um, you own. Right, and that's built uh, through Trust. Ex- trust, experience, time. Yeah, yeah. Experience, trust, experience. You can never time. escape that. Yeah, yeah. You have to work at it. If and the worst thing is if you if you give a false, if you give a false statement to someone, 
no one's going to trust that person will not trust you again right so you got to know your stuff you have to know you have you have to be trustful even if you don't know stuff you'd be just be, oh sorry i don't know it let me see if i can find that out for you is that one of the biggest takes that takeaways that you could provide to anybody saying like yes you just be honest just be honest honestly honest honesty would get you a much farther than trying to sell sell yourself over bullshit right. which i've seen yeah. a lot to yeah. be honest with you in this industry i've seen a lot of bullshit yeah, you do. You, yeah. you, you've seen a lot, but then you, then you know if you're going to trust. Because when you hire someone, yeah, I think you you see what they are like in terms of, okay, they're going to give me an honest answer. Yeah. That's why you're working here with me in Hong Kong right now. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, other than knowing you and, and just, you know, the, the quality of work and training that you had and working before, I think, okay, right, you know what you're doing. Right. Okay, so let's 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 work together on this. And there's a lot of times that you're gonna get people that will, yeah, I'll act big, I'll I'll do this and this, and and maybe the person will see it, but I can see through you. And there's gonna be a lot of people that I can see through. Do you have to, like, being in a, chi- a market like China where mm-hmm. there's a lot of inexperienced crew members or, or producers mm-hmm. coming from China, and understandably so because they, it's new to them, right? Mm-hmm. How did you deal with that? You don't. <laughs> I think you, you you're being patient. You're being patient, and you try to slowly educate. And so, that, and so in this company that you're in, mm-hmm. I mean, if, even China Syndrome. What I saw was that there's a lot of people. You were the most senior when mm-hmm. I was in there, mm-hmm. which means everybody else coming in, you were the one who was training them. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah. To a certain extent. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I mean. But at the same time, maybe we didn't think of that at that time of right. being trained. Right. Uh, but they had an influence in training us. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. But right. I, you know, for me personally, yeah. I did think yeah. that you yeah. played a yeah. huge part. In well, because you, everyone needs leaders. Yeah. In terms of following and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So when you went to China and joined mm-hmm. uh, New Life Films, mm-hmm. was that one of the roles that you had to take on? Mm, not at the beginning. I think. I think the beginning was trying to. F- see where I fit right um, and what I was hired to do uh, as a executive producer was um, to service jobs in China for the Beijing Olympics oh okay and that was the that was the that was one of the reasons why they asked me to be there right and to be able to, to be able to uh, talk to the rest of the world right um, in terms of, of, of bringing people in there and, right. and educating them. Um, I think being a producer and being an executive producer are two different things. Uh, being a producer is when you are, what most people like to do is, you know, we have a project, you follow the project through, yeah. and you get things done. Yeah. An executive producer is finding the work. So you're almost like a salesperson. You're a salesperson. You become a salesperson. Really? Yeah. So an executive producer finds a salesperson. But the interesting thing with uh, it being in, in, China compared to the rest of the world is executive producers don't follow a job through. Okay, so you set it up and you're... Yeah, yeah, you set it up and then you have a producer that that goes on and do it. Right. But uh, the role of an executive producer in China Mm -hmm. is that you sell the job because it's your reputation on the line. Right. That this is the director, this is the project, you need need to follow through with the project. Right. Right. Why is it different in China than compared to anywhere else in the world? I think it's about trust. So it's about responsibility and trust and face uh, with your clients and stuff like that. Right. right. So you got to so stick with it yeah, all. Yeah, you really stick with it. What's different is the role, there's really no role when you go to China. There are things that are different where there's no, the producers there are really production managers in the rest of the world. Oh, really? Right. Yes. 
Okay. Right. So you kind of have to do the dual role of the producer and uh, the executive yeah. producer. Yes. Yes. So, so okay. but the, when they have a higher producer, you're really hiring a production manager that lines things up for you. Right. So you going over to China, it's kind of mm-hmm. like okay, well, you're you're, you're Chinese going mm-hmm. there. Makes sense because mm-hmm. you know you want career advancement, but at the same time you're not your typical. I'm not your typical Chinese. I'm not your typical Chinese because yeah. I'm I'm a Western born. Yeah. Uh, you can't. You don't even speak Mandarin before you. I don't there. speak Mandarin. I don't, still don't speak Mandarin now. How did you survive? Um, people that help translate. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, it's the experience that you had that that was lacking. It, 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 you know, I think even even when I'm working. At China Syndrome, which was the Cantonese-speaking production house, yes, where everyone spoke Cantonese, and my can- Cantonese was horrible. Also, yeah. so what lesson do we learn from this? It's all about your experience. Yeah. So people hire you because of your experience, not because of your language ability. Right. It's just that if you're good at, at something, in yeah. terms of organizing or able to be uh, receptive or understanding something, you will always get hired regardless of what language you you know or you don't know. So at the end of the day, it really is. You, everybody needs to pay their due. It, yes, pay pay your dues and yeah, and just do something that you like to do and right. learn. No one's going to teach you stuff. You have to learn learn yourself. Right. Right. Until this day, do you enjoy what you're doing? Do you enjoy making commercials and not documentaries or feature films? Uh. That's a long pause. Uh, no. Well, okay, because because it's 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 totally a different career path. Yeah. Right. I think there's still part of me that would love to make a documentary, and there's yeah. stuff that I've always, you know, talked about and tried to figure to do. Yeah. Uh, but as a career path, um, I don't think I regret it. I think it was just an interesting journey. Interesting journey, journey right? right? Um, uh, the advice I think I can give give people is if you if you think, I mean, I think you just try it if you, if you want. Right. Life is too short. You don't want any regrets. The fewer regrets you have in life, right, the better. So this is not just for film or for for television. This is yeah. just in general. For well, I think it's general. I think film film has taught me a lot of life lessons. Mm. Right. 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 I mean, another director uh, that I met was uh, "Live Like a King, Die Like a Man." I think you heard that one from me too. Yeah. Right. And what does that mean? That means that if you have a cup of coffee. Enjoy that coffee. Is that the last cup of coffee that you're ever going to have? Right. So that means enjoy life. Right. Experience life. Enjoy life. Try things. Try new things. Right. Don't be afraid. Because at the end of the day, that's just all knowledge as well. Experience. Yes. Through 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 enjoying life. Yes. yes. Right. Okay. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And people don't. Yeah. So I'm not sure if you know. I'm not as funny as Berman with his, <laughs> and I'm not as cheesy. I try to be serious a lot of times, but I am a very funny Well, I person. don't have as much knowledge, so I have to hide <laughs> it with cheese and humor, so. No, no, I, uh, no, I try to, you know, again, there's a serious side of me, and there's a really fun side of me. Right. Right, and then I can do a lot of funny things, but this is the selling point. Right. I'm trying to be serious to tell you, you want this as a career? Think hard. Right. Think if this is right, do things that interest you. Right. But try it, and you'll never know. If you don't like yeah, it, yeah, move yeah, on to something yeah. else, but yes. at least you've tried it. Right. 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 So. So what's what's next for Kelvin Mock? Um, trying to survive this production. <laughs> trying to survive the next three or four productions. <laughs> Which is always the case, right? Every yeah. production is trying to survive that to yeah. the next one. In terms of organization and stuff like that, and you know, I think 
you can see the industry changing again. Yeah. Uh, so basically, this is probably the third change that I've seen in the industry. So we went from a film-based industry. Yeah. Um, to a digital okay. based industry yeah. that is for broadcasting. Yeah. Now we're entering a third stage where we're into the internet, where in the internet and media plays a totally different role than yes, what, you're that, right. that, we're, that we're going to. Yeah. So people are still trying to figure that out. Are you still trying to figure it out? I'm not figuring it out. I'm just going with the Go with the flow and go with the flow, and then hopefully I'll have another happy accident. <laughs> right. So. so here's the happy accidents. Yeah, here's the happy accidents. Well, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. It's been an absolute pleasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still can't believe that after what 18 years you're saying that I'm here in Hong Kong working with you again, and it's yeah. quite, it's been quite a treat. So. Right. So yeah. no, yeah, enjoy working with you and be like Berman. Experiment. Go go listen to his podcast again because because <laughs> I think his was much more interesting than mine. Well, so. I don't know. Yours is pretty good too. Okay. Um, so yeah, thanks. In the past podcast, uh, Dean's always asked a question about like interesting film terms that people may not know what they mean. Uh-huh. Is there any film terms that you've learned that you found interesting that that you want to share with us? I think it's film terms have changed over the years. Uh, uh, that I, is true, I, right? So I think everyone goes with the martini now. I think everyone understands that one, right? Well, a lot of people listening to this podcast will have no idea what that means. Okay, so the martini is the last shot of the day. The martini is the last shot of the day. Yeah, so that means that after the shot, let's go out for drinks. All right. But now with with what's happened now, that uh, film production is not allowed to take people out for drinks because of drunk driving and things like that. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so you, they don't encourage any type of drinking. Really? Okay. Because I, I still remember during my time, it's all about rap beers, right? Uh-huh. You know, rap, if you have a, a rap beers, like at the end of the day, you have a beer uh-huh. with a crew and everything. So uh-huh. now that's not... No, then you don't even have that because you need to be socially responsible for all these people that are driving, drinking and driving. All right. Well, you know what? This is a podcast. We're finishing a podcast. It's completely different. So shall we go for a martini? Yeah, let's go for a drink. All right. All right. Thank you very much. Great. (laughs) All righty. That was my video twin, Berman, chatting with executive producer, Kelvin Mock. Speaking of video twins, why don't you head over to videotwins.com to check out all the video production resources we have available for you. We're adding more stuff to help you make better videos, so check out videotwins.com often and be sure to join our mailing list so you don't miss out on anything. Okay, that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. Please make sure to rate and review us. We'd really appreciate it and share it. If you see us on Facebook or if you know of somebody who might be interested in hearing one of our guests, uh, pass it along. Okay, well, thank you again for joining us and we'll see you next time on How I Got This Gig.